Well, I want to welcome you to the very first week of a series that we're calling Kingdom Come. And, uh, you know, if you've been a part of this church for, for very long or if you've listened online to the different messages, uh, one of the things that you hear come, a lot, come up a lot is the kingdom of God. We talk about it a lot in this church. Um, and, and even last week during our chaos series and as we were ending that series, uh, I, I encourage you to replace a blueprint theology of our life. A blueprint theology says uh, that every single thing that happens in our life is precisely as God intends it. And I encouraged us during the last two weeks to uh, not to instead of having a, a blueprint theology, replace that with a kingdom theology. Uh, but I want to take what we talked about in the chaos series and build on it in this series. Because uh, I, I realized that while we talk a lot about the kingdom of God, we've never had uh, a, a series specifically to begin diving into what is this thing called the kingdom of God and, and really do some training and gain some foundation of understanding of what does this really mean. So when I encourage you that the kingdom of God is breaking in and that we need to replace a, a blueprint theology with a kingdom theology, uh, I, I realize that there's probably some of you and, and maybe many of you, many of you that are asking the question, well, what does that mean? And and so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And and I want to, um, uh, again, remind you and encourage you that, and and kind of map out the the series for you, that today we're going to be doing Kingdom 101. It's it's some foundations uh, that we need to know and, and understand about what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God looks like in our life. And uh, I just feel like that the, I have a lot of material to get through today, uh, but God is going to bless you as we, as we not only take this information, uh, but, but we seek to be transformed. Because I want to tell you that my goal uh, each and every Sunday morning as, as I come up to speak to all of you, my goal is not the, the transfer of, of information. My goal is transformation. Uh, that, that we would be transformed by the power of God's word and, and allowing his word to really uh, get into our lives. And so that's, to, that's today. Uh, where we're going to go next week is, is we're going to be looking at kingdom inheritance. And, and there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about inheriting the kingdom of God uh, or, or the kingdom of God belonging to people such as these and, and, and those kinds of things. So we're going to re- be talking about, after we get a foundation of understanding, we're going to be talking about what is the, the markers of our life that helps us to become uh, belongers or, or owners of the kingdom of God. Uh, and then on September 23rd, two weeks from today, we are going to be uh, looking at colliding kingdoms. And uh, I want to encourage you again uh, to invite your friends on, on that Sunday. We're going to have uh, an opportunity. We're going to give an opportunity for anyone uh, that would like uh, to receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. So we're going to be presenting the gospel on the 23rd, and it is a great Sunday to invite your friends on the 23rd. Uh, now, every Sunday is a great Sunday to invite your friends. Every Sunday we talk about Christ and the, and the cross and the resurrection and the beauty of the gospel, uh, but particularly on September 23rd, if you would be intentional about inviting, inviting your friends, uh, they will have an opportunity to make uh, the most important decision of their life. So that's where we're headed for the kingdom of God and the kingdom come series. So, you know, the kingdom of God is a central teaching to the message of Jesus. Uh, in, in fact, in the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 35 times in that gospel alone. 
And so, man, when we read through the Gospel of Matthew, as we begin the, the Gospels and the story of the life of Jesus, one of the themes that comes up right from the very beginning and then over and over and over again is this thing called the kingdom of God. It's absolutely central to the message, message of Jesus, which is why it's central that we get a foundational understanding of what he is really talking about. And it's not only mentioned in Matthew, but it's mentioned 65 other times, additional times in the rest of the Gospels. So this is absolutely central, and we're going to be spending this time together to explore what it means and to discover its beauty. And so let's, uh, let's explore this together and uh, discover what God wants to say to us today. Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, uh, there are some Bibles uh, somewhere in the, the seat racks. Uh, we'll have a, the passage up for you as well on the screens. And then those of you that are smartphone users, you can open your version app and uh, should be a, an event published under Emmaus Road. And uh, that gives you an opportunity not only to see the passage on your phone, uh, but it gives you an opportunity to take notes on your phone and then you can email them to yourself uh, for safekeeping so, uh, and for future reference. So that's a great tool that we want to provide for you. Matthew chapter 4, I want to read verses 20. 12 through 17 to get us started. We're going to look at a number of passages here this morning, uh, but Matthew 12, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 12 to get us started. It says this, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's pray together. God, I pray that uh, this morning and all throughout this series that you would illuminate our minds, not just for further understanding of what your word means, but that we might apply uh, this word to our lives and that we would not just uh, transfer information back and forth this morning, but that we would experience the transformation possible in the gospel. And uh, God, I pray not only for understanding this morning about what the kingdom of God is, but I pray that, uh, that, we, would be, that we would experience your kingdom here this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, when Jesus is, is talking about, uh, and, and he says that the kingdom of God has come near, we, the first question that we have to begin asking is, what in the world is he really talking about? The kingdom of heaven has come near. What is he talking about? And the first question that we have to address is, is Jesus talking about heaven? Heaven, with all of its sort of cultural assumptions about what, what heaven is, is this really what Jesus is talking about? And many believe that that is, in fact, the case. That, that when, when we can just sort of substitute the word heaven, anytime we see the kingdom of God, anytime we see the kingdom of heaven, we can just substitute the word heaven inside of there and all of the cultural assumptions that go along with it whenever Jesus is talking about his kingdom. And, and this would probably work out just fine in some passages, but there are other 
other passages that where Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God, that understanding that the kingdom is equal to heaven and all of its cultural assumptions around that, cultural assumptions being that heaven is a, is a sort of a disembodied experience somewhere high up in the sky, then when we get to some passages, it becomes problematic. Like in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus tells a series of parables to teach us about the nature of the kingdom of God, to sort of give us a, descri- a, a description of what the kingdom of God is look like. And he gives, he, gives, he gives us all these sorts of parables to teach us about the kingdom of God. And if we understand that the kingdom of God is heaven in Matthew chapter 13, things just get weird. Like Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Does he intend to say that heaven is small? Right? That's kind of awkward. I thought it was rather big if it's going to fit a ton of people in it. Right? Then Jesus says that the, that the kingdom of God is, is like yeast. And uh, is he meaning to teach us that heaven is alive? Come on, some of you, you've got to work with me. Aren't you freaked out by yeast when it like jumps at you when you're making bread? Isn't that bizarre? You know, you like scoop it up and it like starts jumping around. Come on. All right. You guys are. Wow. Okay. So then, are you guys with me today? Can we get through this together? All right. You got to help me out. Jesus also tells a parable about a pearl of great price. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. Does he mean to, to tell us that heaven is simply pretty, like a pearl? You see, if we, if we just understand that, that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is equal to and the same thing as heaven and all of the cultural assumptions around that, then I think that we've missed what is central to the message of Jesus. In fact, I think that that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about something altogether different from all of our cultural assumptions about heaven. And uh, I think that we can get this understanding pretty clearly from the Greek. Uh, again, in, when we look at our English Bibles, things can get mixed up. Things can get lost in translation, right? And so, so the word kingdom, when it's used here in this passage, when it's used elsewhere, uh, pretty much throughout the New Testament, anytime the kingdom of God is mentioned, there's one particular Greek word that's used, and it's the Greek word basileia. And it literally means kingship. It literally means dominion or rule or authority. We cannot assume that Jesus is talking to us about that place up in the clouds when what he's really talking about is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is the rule of God, the authority of God, the kingship of God, not some physical location. In fact, in fact, this Greek word has nothing to do with a physical location or a place. Again, it has more to do with the, an authority, a rule, a kingship. It's a state of being. And so the kingdom of heaven also, so we can't interchange kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven for heaven and all of its cultural assumptions. Are you with me? But we can interchange the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Those are the same thing in Scripture. And the reason is because in ancient culture, there were many who would, out of reverence and respect for God, who uh, in Hebrew, his name is Yahweh, out of respect for Yahweh, they would not utter his name. And so instead of saying the kingdom of God or Yahweh, they would instead say the kingdom of heaven to communicate the same idea. 
And so when we come to these phrases, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, those are the same thing. Right there, we're talking about the, the, the same thing. Those are interchangeable. Now, this is, this is quite different in our culture uh, from the, uh, the popular worship song. Maybe you've heard it on the radio where the lyrics are, Yahweh, Yahweh, how we love to shout your name, right? And, and I'm not saying that's good, bad, or otherwise, or that's here or there, but it's a cultural difference that there once was a time out of reverence for Yahweh, we w- they would not utter his name. And now we've come in modern culture where in worship songs, we, we love to scream and shout and declare his name. So just a, a little bit of a history there so that we understand that when we come across phrases in this series, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the same thing. And so what is this kingdom of God? If this Greek word basileia is there, how are we to understand and what is it really? The kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is a realm of reality where the way of God rules. The kingdom of God is a realm of reality where the way of God rules. It's where, where God has, has his full authority, where God's will is being perfectly accomplished in that moment, in that time, in that circumstance. And do you remember, uh, again, I want to point us back to the series that we just came out of, Chaos, where we said that everything is not exactly as God intends it. And so he's on a mission to put everything back together. God is, is moving in the world to make everything and put it back to right. It, there's, a, there's a children's Bible that puts it this way. He's trying to make all the brokenness in our world come untrue. I really like that. He's trying to make all the brokenness in our world untrue. And every time that happens, everything that, every time that something is broken, and then God in his sovereignty puts it back together, that's the kingdom of God breaking in. Every time that there's, there's something that, that is not as it should be, and yet God, it, out, of, out of the ugliness and the brokenness and the despair, be, begins to, to make something beautiful out of that. That is the kingdom of God being present in our world, breaking through. That is the realm of reality in which the will of God is being perfectly accomplished and the authority of God is being expressed in that moment. And so maybe, maybe it's uh, when someone that you have, have uh, harmed and you've done injustice against them and, and you feel bad about it and yet they come to you and they offer you forgiveness in that moment, in that space, in that time, the kingdom of God is breaking through because in the perfect will of God, we are all forgiven through Christ and by faith. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not a universalist. But in the kingdom of God, by faith, we are forgiven. And so when we, are, when, we are the, when, we, when we experience the forgiveness of someone that we have harmed, the kingdom of God is breaking in. And when we forgive someone that has harmed us, the kingdom of God is present. It's the realm of reality where the rule of God and the way of God rules. Are you with me? 
And so Jesus is born. Jesus is incarnated. God is made flesh. And he enters a world of corruption, of deceit, and of brokenness. If you read the Old Testament, you realize that we are in desperate need of a Savior, right? I mean, from Genesis 3 on, things just all just go haywire. We begin to, to wreak all kinds of havoc in this world through our disobedience to God. And so Jesus, God in flesh, enters into this broken world, into the corruption, into the deceit. And, and, and he makes this announcement. Repent for the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the authority of God, has come near. In other words, if we are to understand the kingdom as being the reign of Jesus or the rule of God, then we are to understand that in this sentence that we read this morning, Jesus was making a profound announcement about the world. He was announcing that his way was breaking in to the world, that his rule was coming to bear on the world. It was a brand new, in other words, he was offering a brand new way of life made possible in Christ. He says, you've, you've lived in all this brokenness. You've lived in this corruption and this, this deceit and this disappointment and all of these things. And the pieces are falling apart and all of these things. It is my will. It is my desire to redeem and to put these things back together. And so we are, to, we are given this truth. The kingdom of heaven has come near. My rule and authority is breaking into the world. And then he gives us two actions. And as a result of that truth, he tells us to repent and to believe the good news. He says, repent, which is to say that we are to churn in the opposite direction. Repentance is not just feeling bad about what we've done. Repentance is to say, okay, I've come into contact with this reality, this truth, that the things in the world are not as God intends. And and so he's on on a mission to repair and bring redemption and and redo and make things right. And so in in light of that, I, I once was moving in a direction against God, in disobedience to God. I was once working against his will and his kingdom. And repentance means I'm going to do a 180 and I'm now going to align myself with that reality. I'm now going to align my actions with this new truth that I've been given. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. My rule and authority is breaking into the world. it's, uh, it's, It's redemption breaking into the brokenness. And he says, as a result of this, we, our lives ought to be different. They ought to change. We ought to repent and move in the other direction and begin aligning ourselves with that reality. So first we repent, and then he says, believe the good news. And again, believing is, is not just giving intellectual assent or, or agreeing intellectually with the truth. We can agree intellectually that Jesus is the Son of God. And many of you do. But believing in something is not just giving intellectual agreement to it. Believing in something is beginning to align our life with that reality. And so he says, repent, do a 180, and believe. Yes, have the knowledge. Yes, have the information. But it's not just the transfer of information, it's transformation. And so the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. And our, our action steps outside of that, or because of that, are to repent, do the 180, and then believe the good news, align ourselves intellectually with that, but then as a result of that knowledge, be transformed by aligning ourselves to that reality. 
And this has all kinds of implications for the world. That if we cannot substitute the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God just for our cultural assumptions about heaven, and that it's actually God's will breaking into our brokenness right here, right now, in space, in time, on earth, then one of the implications is that Jesus is not trying to get us to escape the earth in favor of something else. But rather he is demonstrating that he cares deeply for creation of which we are a part and he seeks to renew it. And if we understand Jesus' teaching on the kingdom as, as, as being sort of a disembodied heaven, then we are missing a large portion of what he wants to teach us. Now some of you are still doubters. Some of you Bible scholars already have a passage in mind, and you're like, oh, I'm not buying it. I don't, I don't agree, Pastor. This is all very good. Uh, but, and, and the question that you want to say is, yeah, but what about John 18.36? So let's turn there, John 18.36. Some, um, some of you are like, I don't even know John 18.36, and I'm not a Bible scholar, and I wasn't thinking about that. You had me, and, and now you're planting seeds of doubt. Um, I like to ask the yeah, what about um, a lot. And the reason is because my heart is to, is to teach the, the full um, counsel of Scripture. That, that if, there's, if there's a passage that, that seems to be going the opposite direction of, of what I'm teaching or we're teaching here, I, I think it's so valuable to spend a few moments to ask, well, yeah, what about uh, and, and so that's what I want to do here this morning with John chapter 18, verse 36. And I actually want to read the, the context so that we get it a little bit. And, and in fact, just to set the stage, this is Jesus at, at, on his journey to the cross. And, and he is before Pilate um, uh, at this passage here. And so John 18, I want to start with verse 33 uh, through 38. And this is actually a conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Starting with verse uh, 33 in John 18, it says this. Pilate went back inside to the palace, and he summoned Jesus, and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is questioning the kingship of Jesus. Is that your own idea, Jesus asks, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, we come across this passage, and, and, and the question is, yeah, well, what about? I mean, Jesus himself says, my kingdom is not of this world, and it's from a different place. And, it, and if we come across this passage, it's really easy to think that, that Jesus is saying that my kingdom exists outside of this world. Right? It, w- it would be easy for, for us to, to, to understand that Jesus is saying there's, there's sort of this world over here, and, and then there's my kingdom, which is, which is sort of up here. And, and so if we were to understand that, then, then ultimately the whole goal of our Christian faith would to be to get from here to there. But, but again, what we have to understand is what we lose in translation. 
We have to be really careful with our translation here because the, the, the word that is often translated of in English uh, and in many English translations is the Greek word elk. Now, most Greek words you can't say, but we can all handle that, right? Elk. That's pretty easy. Uh, and what it literally means is it is, a, it is a preposition that denotes origin. A preposition that denotes origin. And it literally means out of or from, not just of. Now, this is critical because what Jesus is saying is that my kingdom, my rule, my authority, is not from this world. And that's altogether different than saying that my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it's his rule, his authority, his kingship does not find its origin in creation. For he is the creator of all things that with his own breath spoke creation into being. And what he is saying is that my authority, my power does not originate in creation. I stood over creation and with my breath, with my words, I created it. And now as the creator, I am bringing my rule and authority and kingship to bear on creation. He is not saying that his kingdom is uh, altogether uh, from a different place or, or it's not of a different place but it's from a different place there's nothing in creation that has given Jesus the authority to, to bring his kingdom to bear on creation he stands above creation as a creator and so he's not saying that his kingdom is located in a location different than earth but rather he is saying that the origin of his authority to bring his kingdom to bear comes from him and him alone because he stands outside of creation. So my kingdom is not from this world, but my authority is coming to bear on this world. My rule is coming to bear on this world. And he says this right before he goes to the cross to redeem the world which is a perfect example of the kind of authority that he was talking about. My authority doesn't even look like earthly authority because I didn't come into this world with, with trumpets and a parade. I came humbly in a stable to a virgin teenage girl. And I haven't practiced any of the regular kinds of things that an earthly king would But my authority is greater than the earthly kings. And so my kingdom is not from this world. It's from a place altogether different. Because as the creator, I stand above creation. And and the good news of the gospel church is that he is bringing his authority to bear on creation. Isn't that good news? And man, that's a different kind of gospel, isn't it? Then saying the, the kingdom of God is not of this world and we're just trying to get out, it really changes the implications of the message of Jesus. And again, we have to, to be careful and we have to understand that. Now, 
the great thing is that, that Jesus does not just sort of leave us hanging in the Gospels. He doesn't just say, now repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But, but rather he goes on throughout his life and ministry to begin to teach us. What does this authority look like? How is this authority coming to bear on the world? And what does it look like? And, and so I want to spend a few moments at the end of our, our, our time together this morning exploring what is the kingdom of God like. Now, when I was a kid, there was a magnet on my fridge that said God is like. And uh, it was like, it was a poem. And maybe some of you guys have heard this. But come on, I'm a child of the 80s. So this is like old school. Like some of you weren't even born. So you're not even going to know what I'm talking about. So old folks, help me out. Okay? Help me out if you don't remember some of these slogans. But uh, this is... This is um, This magnet said, God is like Coke. He's the real thing. If that doesn't bless you, then I I can't help you. Uh, God is like Hallmark cards. He cares enough to send his very best. You know, I mean, it's just like, you cannot get theology deeper than that. Um, God is like Tide. He gets the stains out that others leave behind. This is one of my favorites. God is like scotch tape. You can't see him, but you know he's there. <laughs> he's <laughs> incognito, you know, secret. Uh, God is like all state. You're in good hands with him. And uh, you guys are going to like this. Uh, God is like dial soap. Aren't you glad you have him? Don't you wish everybody did? <laughs> Some of you are like getting further away from your neighbors. So... Um, so, so this, is what, this is what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 13 in, in less cute fashion, maybe. Uh, but, but he tells a whole series of, of parables where he says the kingdom of heaven is like. And uh, again, it's not quite as cutesy as, as what the later writers of this poem came up with. But, uh, but Jesus does this. And, and I want to I walk through just four of them to help us kind of get a, a description of what the kingdom of God is like. Because, again, I feel like if we could, we could understand the kingdom of God. But if we don't ever get to the description of what does it look like in our lives, then, then we're really missing out. And the first thing that the parable or one of the parables that Jesus tells is that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And it's found in Matthew chapter 13, uh, 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 13, 31 and 32. He says this, then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, right? Is he saying that heaven is small? Yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. In other words, this, this kingdom, he says, that the description that he gives for us is he says that the kingdom of God is, is, is subtle and it requires patience. In other words, there, there's a pretty good chance that, that the kingdom of God and, and the, the way of Christ and the rule of Christ isn't going to come into your life and just hit you upside the head. But rather, Jesus says the kingdom of God and the the description is, is, is like a mustard seed. It's subtle and its growth requires patience. It begins small, but it will end really big. Now, we could take that in a very literal sense where where the kingdom of God and the people of God and the kingdom that God was building began very small with just a few believers and and now is, is worldwide and it's huge and it's growing and will only become bigger. But we could also understand that in a very personal way in our lives where the kingdom of God, the rule of God begins as a seed planted in our heart. 
Just a small seed. And yet, that seed is watered through conversation, through friendships, through community, through a song on the radio, through all these different ways. That seed of God is planted in our heart and it grows in our heart and becomes bigger. But either way, what Jesus is telling us is that the kingdom of God is very subtle. Its growth is subtle, yet sure and certain. And it will one day end very, very big. And I love this. It requires patience. That if we ever want to receive the benefit of the grown kingdom in our life, it takes patience. That whoever wanted to, to, be, to, to benefit from the, from the tree that started as a tiny seed, it required patience for that tiny seed to grow, including the birds that would perch on its branches. The birds could not perch on a tiny seed. They themselves needed patience for that tree to grow. And then in the next couple of verses, Matthew chapter 13, 33 through 34, uh, it says this, he, still, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and he mixed in. And she mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way all through the dough. Again, the, the idea is that, that the kingdom of God is, is, grows subtly. For we must wait for the yeast to leaven the bread. And yet there is never a moment... That once the yeast is in the flour, that it isn't working. So I guess that God is kind of like scotch tape. Even though you can't see him, you know he's there. Right? There's never a moment that the kingdom of God and the rule of God is not working to come to bear in this world and in your life. Do you know that? In fact, that's a word for some of you here today. That God is at work even though you may not see him at work right now. I I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. Some of you may be here today and and you're just kind of giving, giving church a last chance. And you just feel like God has abandoned you. The truth of the kingdom of God is that it's always there. It's always working. It's always seeking to come to bear in our life. And so what Jesus does when he describes the kingdom of God is he does not say the kingdom of God is is like a gong that you can hear at its first crash. But rather he says the kingdom of God is subtle like a whisper. And I wonder if, if God makes the kingdom and his will and his authority subtle in our life and makes it more like a whisper than the bang of a drum so that we have to be close in order to hear it. How many of you have walked away from faith? How many of you have walked away from Christ and now find yourself unable to detect his kingdom? that's breaking into your brokenness, the redemption in your life that's happening and you don't even see it? Is it because you've walked away and aren't close enough to hear the whisper of the kingdom? Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It begins very small, but it grows consistently to something that's very large in our life. And the kingdom of God is like yeast 
that once it makes its way into the flour, it will leaven the bread, and it is always working. And you, you, you can't detect the work of yeast sometimes. It's subtle. And that's precisely what Jesus is saying here. In other words, there's this element not only of of subtlety, but there's also this element of patience when it comes to the kingdom of God. That, 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 that again, it's not just just absent sort of waiting, but it's it's this anticipating patience that the kingdom of God is already breaking through. Let me let me paint a picture for you. The kingdom of God requires that we wait. But we don't wait as those who are in a dark room hoping that someone will come in with candlelight. We wait like people in the early morning who know that the sun has has risen and are now waiting for the full brightness of midday. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God requires that we wait, but we don't wait as those who, who are in a dark room waiting for someone to come in with candlelight where the light is there all of a sudden. But we wait like people in the early morning who know that the sun has risen and are now waiting for the full brightness of midday. In other words, the kingdom of God growing subtly in your life may be a conversation with a friend that encourages you and reminds you of God's love. In that moment, when that person encourages you and they lift you up, the kingdom of God is breaking in subtly, quietly, but it's growing in your heart. It may be a simple act of kindness in a time of need. It may be spending time with a loved one who has a terminal illness, just assuring them of your love. And in assuring them of your love, you are assuring them of the love of God in their time of brokenness. The kingdom of God does not come to us like a banging gong, but it comes to us like a whisper. And I want to ask you this morning, what does the morning sun look like in your life? Because we, we, we wait. We, I mean, the, the scripture calls us and Jesus tells us the kingdom of God grows subtly. The kingdom of God requires patience. But we are not waiting with an absent hope like we're in a dark room waiting for someone to just appear with a, with a small spark of light. We are waiting with, with the assurance that the sun has risen. Come on, somebody. The sun has risen and we're waiting for the full brightness of midday because the sun has risen. Are you with me now? Come on, I thought for sure I'd get a little better than that. But it's all good. The sun has risen, and because the sun has risen, we can rest with great confidence. We can can wait with full, mature hope that the brightness of midday is coming. So let me ask you again, what does the morning sun look like in your life? Do you see the evidence of redemption? Do you see the hope shining through your chaos? Do you see the buds of new life? Well, Jesus goes on to tell more parables to teach us what the kingdom of God is like. There, again, in Matthew chapter 13, skip down to verse 44 if you're there. He says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he, had, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had so he could buy the field. Do you get the picture? There, there's a worker in a field. 
And in his working, in his everyday going about, he didn't go to work that morning expecting to find a treasure in the field. He, he, was, just, he was just going about his everyday business when all of a sudden he comes across a, a great treasure in the field. He immediately goes home. He sells all that he possesses in order to possess this one thing. The, 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 this, this worker in the field goes back, sells everything he has so he can buy the field that has the treasure in it. The point that Jesus is trying to get across is that the kingdom of God in all of its beauty is so powerful, so beautiful, so worthy of our attention and our allegiance that we should be willing to get rid of all that we possess in order to possess the one thing. The one thing. And while the kingdom of God grows subtly and does not hit hit us like a gong, it does sometimes come unexpectedly. And there are many of you that have stories in your life of where you had walked away from God. You had rejected him. You were done. You were through. And yet in his grace and in his sovereignty, God showed you the treasure in the field. Quite unexpectedly. You never saw it coming. You were just going to work, doing your own thing. You weren't looking for anything in particular. And yet you discovered the kingdom of God. And, you, and, and once, once beholding its beauty, this worker says, I am willing to sell all I possess in order to possess the one thing. Have we come to that place in our faith, church, where the rule and the way and the kingdom of God has our highest allegiance. And we will give up all else in order to possess the one thing. Now the next parable that, that, that Jesus teaches is, is of, of similar message. It says this, it's just the next verse in 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found it, uh, when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything that he had and he bought it. Now, the treasure in the field, the worker that goes to the field is just doing his own thing. He, he was never looking for it. He never expected to find it. He never intended to find anything. It, it came on him as, as rather of a, of a surprise. And yet, once beholding its beauty, he said, I'll sell all I possess to possess this one thing. The, the merchant, however, is looking very intentionally for it. He is, he's on the hunt. He's looking for this, this pearl that would, that would make it that, so that he could sell everything else in order to possess this one thing. And, and so I don't, I, I don't know where you're at. You may have stumbled upon the kingdom of God rather unexpectedly in your life, but some of you are on a very intentional journey of looking for truth. And let me tell you today that this passage of Scripture, this, this parable that Jesus tells us, says that if you are on a hunt for truth, if you are looking for truth, you will find it in the kingdom of God and once beholding its truth and once beholding its beauty, again, you will sell all you possess in order to possess the one thing. The bottom line that Jesus is trying to tell us is that not only does the kingdom of God require patience, not only does the kingdom of God grow subtly in our life, but if we will discover it and the kingdom of God must be discovered, then we will find that it's beautiful. We will find that it's worth it. I love these passages of Jesus telling us what the kingdom of God is like.
God's activity must be discovered. The kingdom of God is subtle. It's growing. It's working its way into our world. And when we discover it, we will see its beauty. We will see its beauty. I, I want to do something a little bit unusual, and it's not something that I planned or in my notes, but, but I wonder, just to, to give us an idea, how many of you would be brave enough to, to just stand up and say, here's what it looked like when I discovered what the kingdom of God looks like. Is there anybody that would want to share or tell us about that? The moment that I discovered the kingdom of God, here's the circumstances around it, and here's what it looked like. Maybe for you it came unexpectedly. Maybe you were searching for it and you finally found it, but once beholding its beauty, you said, I want to possess this one thing. Is there anyone that would take a moment to say, here's a description of what the kingdom of God looks like in my life? And how I discovered it. Is there anyone? What I wanted to um, encourage you to do this week then. Is seek to find and discover the kingdom of God. In fact that's your next step. There's just one next step. That we do each week. But there's just one. And that is, we want to hear the evidence of the ways in which you see the kingdom of God breaking through in your life. And uh, we've set up an email address that you can email us that. And I'm going to use those as part of next week's message of, of celebrating and describing all the ways in which together that we as a community have discovered the kingdom of God breaking in our li- in our, in, in, on our life. And the email address is simple kingdom at the roadfc.org. If you will email us that picture, then we'll use it as part of the, of the series next week or of the sermon next week, okay? That's your next step. And then we also encourage you to invite some friends. But um, may we all not only discover the kingdom of God, but may we all see its beauty. And may we all possess it and take part of it and experience it together.